Jesus, I save you to the end. Our Master Jesus, we come to you again and pray that you will, by the Holy Spirit, teach our hearts concerning yourself today. You are our rock and we need you to be our rock. There are strong winds that blow against us personally and even as a local church. And while we could get angry and cross and everything else, we need to have our feet firm on your rock so that we stand firm even in an evil day, as Paul wrote to the Ephesians. We stand firm because our feet are on something which is unchanging. You, yourself, your gospel, your faithfulness, your salvation. Holy Spirit, inspire our hearts now, we pray. Amen. We're picking up the last quarter of Hebrews 7 today. We're three quarters of the way through. We've dealt with the comparison between Melchizedek and Jesus Messiah, but these last three verses contain three major statements about the Lord Jesus that I want to deal with today. I could have sprung them out, strung them out and made them one, then another one, then another one. But um, Hebrews is written really as one sermon, one treatise, you know, and the fact that we take weeks and weeks to work our way through it, it, it would be a powerful thing to stand up and read it three in one go, to be honest. Yeah. So, starting in at verse 22 today. By so much the more, all that's gone before, these great oaths by which Jesus has been appointed by the, by the Father, King forever, in the order of David, but also priest forever in the order of Melchizedek, fulfilling all the promises of the Old Testament, surpassing all of the Davidic kingdom, David, Solomon, and so on, surpassing all of the, the Levitical priesthood, Aaron and all of his sons. Jesus is greater. Jesus is better. That's the message of Hebrews. By so much the more, Jesus has become the guarantor, or guarantee, it's the same word. Both the person who guarantees something and the guarantee they make, it's the same word in Greek. He's become the guarantor of a better covenant. Now I need to work backwards through and talk first of all about the new covenant. The new covenant is better than the old covenant. What is being compared here is the new covenant between God and man made in Jesus Christ and the old covenant which was given through Moses which was consisted of the law and sacrifices and priests and holy places and rituals and so on. All of that is completed, ended in Jesus. The old covenant was in its last days as this letter was being written in the early, 60, the early 60s AD. The law had been fulfilled and the sacrifices had been completed by the death of Jesus Messiah. In that sense, he fulfilled the prophecy of Daniel that he would put away sacrifice. Jesus put away sacrifice because his sacrifice of himself was the last and final one. He put them away forever. The veil in the temple at the moment that Jesus died was torn from the top to the bottom. No more holy places. Jesus invites us in to the very presence of God. Now, within a few years of this letter being written to Hebrew people, probably in, the, in, in Judea, by Paul from, from Rome, in prison in Rome, the temple would be altogether destroyed. In AD 70, the Romans came and destroyed it. This new covenant is altogether 
better because Jesus himself is altogether greater and better than even Abraham, the father of faith, Moses, the mediator of the law, David, the king of Israel, Melchizedek, who is a great high priest, but Jesus is a greater high priest. In the Greek of that verse 22, Jesus is the last word. He's the subject of the whole sentence. He's the center and sum of it all. It's all about Jesus. Now this Greek word engios, which is translated guarantee or guarantor, it only appears here in the New Testament, just this once. So we have to think about how was it used in those times. And in legal documents of those times, it means the one who pledges his name, his property, his influence, that this thing, this promise will be done. It's a promise. And the power of the promise is in the person who promises, isn't it? Yeah? All the times that I've signed up as guarantor for my kids when they've taken a, a, a lease, a rental on somewhere, you know, uni and Luke just now in Harlow and so on, you know, would you be guarantor? Yeah, okay. You know, I think, my goodness, if everybody came after me for all this money, I'm not sure, you know. <laughs> but the power of the promise is in the person who promises. Yes? That they can fulfill. They can make it happen. And so Jesus is the guarantor. It's his name that's on it. It's his power, his influence, his authority that's behind it. He's the guarantor of a better covenant into which we've now been admitted and even now governs our lives. Yet the full benefit of all that is promised us is not happening yet. It's in the future. We live in the now and not yet of the kingdom of King Jesus. There are things we can have. We can have healing. I thank God that I'm at least didn't have to stand here and do this. We can have healing, but we will still find ourselves getting sick from time to time. We'll find that we get injured. We'll find that, that we can't avoid getting older with all the things that age brings. But one day we will be made perfect. That's the night sermon, right? So there is a now and a not yet. There's a in part and then the full. We're saved from sin, but we still have to die to sin and kill sin. Reckon ourselves dead to sin, I should say, and kill sin. We may know the Lord's healing, but we're sick again, so we ask him to heal, him to heal us again. That's what David meant when he said, who heals all your diseases. Not that they don't happen, but when they happen, he heals them. Our total freedom from sin, the transformation of our bodies, our full inheritance as the children of God, those are for the last day and beyond, the return of our Lord Jesus, the end of the age. We live in this time of promise, looking forward to what is yet to be ours in and through the Lord Jesus, but the promise is guaranteed by whom? By Jesus. He's the guarantor of all that will be ours, all that is promised to us. The promise of full delivery, the promise of full inheritance. He is the pledge that we shall be saved. His name is on it. His authority on it is on it. His influence is behind it. All that he is and all that he has is our promise. He's the guarantor. Now in other places, Paul writes that the Holy Spirit is our pledge. It's a different word in Greek. It's the down payment. So the promise which is now but not yet 
still ahead of us, but Jesus is the promisor, he's the guarantor. Even now the Holy Spirit is given to us as the down payment of what will be ours. He's the pledge of future inheritance. So you've got these scriptures, 1 Corinthians, sorry, 2 Corinthians 1.22. God has sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a pledge, as a down payment. You think, well, that's, that's a bit odd, calling the Holy Spirit the down payment. It's scripture. The Holy Spirit inspired it. He doesn't mind being compared to a down payment. The third person, the Trinity, living with us and in us and energizing us is a down payment, a foretaste of the glory that will be ours. It's the beginning of eternal life. 2 Corinthians 5.5 He who prepared us for this very purpose is God who gave to us the Spirit as a pledge, as the down payment. See, we didn't make a down payment for heaven and for glory to come. God has made full payment in Jesus and given us the down payment of the Spirit living in our hearts. That's why life in the Spirit is so important and so great and so good because we, it is a foretaste of the world to come. In fact, the Holy Spirit is called in another part in Hebrews the power of the age to come. He's a person. He's the Spirit of God. He's the Spirit of Christ. He's the Spirit of Jesus. But in what he does in us, it's the beginnings of life to come. Ephesians 1 verse 14 as well. The Spirit is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. Eternal life, the life of the age to come, has begun in us as the Holy Spirit lives in us and helps us and equips us and changes us from one degree of glory to another. We do not yet have perfection our full inheritance. But we have two things. Jesus, our Lord Jesus in heaven, is our King and our priest and our guarantor of the covenant, the better covenant. And the Holy Spirit is with us and in us as our teacher and our equipper and our empowerer. We have a guarantee in heaven and a pledge with us. And in that way, God's will is being done on earth as it is in heaven as the saving purpose of Jesus towards us on the basis of all that he's done for us is worked out in us, it's put to action in us by the presence and work of the Holy Spirit. It's commanded in heaven on the basis that all that Jesus has done and it happens in us because the Holy Spirit is with us. Heaven comes to earth day after day and you don't even realize it as what Jesus has accomplished for you, and as we'll look in a moment, what Jesus is still doing for you is happening in you because the Holy Spirit is at work. But don't miss this. But all of these point to a future inheritance as we read in 1 Peter last time. Now listen, the Holy Spirit is not just your saviour in the past tense. He's our say now. He's ruling over us now. King. He's representing us now as high priest. This happens continually, day after day. And in fact, because heaven, the realm of heaven, God's throne, is an eternal now. There's no day or night there. When you're asleep, Jesus is still governing and representing. You switch off, he doesn't. Listen to scripture. Jesus is our intercessor. The former priest, verse 23, on the one hand, 
existed in greater numbers because they were prevented by death from continuing. So there always had to be more priests, and priests had to be get more priests so the thing could go on. But Jesus, on the other hand, because he's saved forever or to the end, those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. The Old Testament, the Levitical priests lived, served, died, were replaced by their sons, but our priest continues forever in the power of an endless life. And I would say also in an endless day. There's no sleep. There's no break. Therefore, Jesus is able to save forever, completely, to the end, those who draw near to God through him. He's able to save to the end. Now, I've heard that preached as a gospel sermon. Sinner, you need to come to Jesus. He can save you. And the way it was said when I was a kid was, he'll save you from the guttermost to the uttermost. Well, that's true. That's true. But who is this written to? Believers. So I'm saying to you today, every one of us, we need to believe this with all our hearts, for ourselves. Jesus is able to save us to the uttermost, to the very end. It's a great promise, but it's, not, it's, a, you know, it's a promise to those who believe. So you invite an unbeliever to believe, and therefore this promise is theirs. This promise is ours because we have believed. He is able to save to the end, to the last day, into the age to come, those who draw near to God through him. Why? Because he's died for them? Yes. Because he's risen for them? Yes again. But also this, because he always lives to make intercession for them. Salvation, eternal life, is only in him and through him. There's no way of salvation besides Jesus. There's no alternative route or provision. And Jesus, people object, we claim this to be true, but we're only repeating the words of the Lord Jesus himself. I am the door, said Jesus. If anyone enters through me, he'll be saved. And we'll go in and out and find pasture. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus himself claims to be the exclusive way to God because he himself is eternal God, the Son made flesh. How could that not be true? Only, there's, only, there's only one God and only one God made flesh, and that's Jesus. How could there be another way? God reached out to men by giving his son as a man. How could there be another way? How does he save us forever? By what he's done, but also what he continues to do now. He always lives to make intercession for them. Remember this, these two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. By divine oath, God has made Christ our king, reigning over us, and our high priest representing us. Now, intercession, this is one of the reasons I believe Paul wrote Hebrews. Intercession is a word only Paul uses in the New Testament. He writes it in Hebrews, and he writes it in Romans. While they're very different books, one written to mainly Gentile believers, to Romans, before Paul went there, and this is written to Hebrew people, there are a number of parallels between Romans and Hebrews, and I see the mind of Paul in both of these great epistles. Let's think about the scripture in Romans. Now, we have two intercessors, two advocates, Later on, we're going to sing Before the Throne of God Above, which the original title of which was The Advocate. The lady who wrote it gave the first title to him, The Advocate. We have two advocates. We looked at this in John's Gospel. We looked at this in the Epistles of John. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the Righteous, to quote John. 
we have an advocate with us, the Holy Spirit, who doesn't represent us before God, he represents God to us. And if he argues with anybody, he argues with you and me to believe, to trust Jesus, to turn away from that, to not listen to that, to, 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 to reject that lie. He, he ad, he's our advocate in us and with us. To persuade us and convince us again and again of the truth of the gospel, of the reality of Jesus. He also intercedes for us in prayer too. In the same way the Spirit helps our weaknesses. Oh, thank God for that. Is it okay to be weak? Yes, so long as you know where to get your help. For we do not know how to pray as we should. We can say a quiet amen to that too. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us, there's the word, with groanings too deep for words, and he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. The Holy Spirit prays with us and helps us in prayer and prays even when we're not praying. And the Lord Jesus intercedes for us. Romans 8. You all love Romans 8. Okay. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Notice where the verse mark should be there. Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. He's our representative. He's our advocate. He argues our cause. He pleads our case. He intercedes for us. That's what in Hebrews 7, verse 25. The same, the same thought that's there in Romans is there in Hebrews. Jesus intercedes for us. He defends us. He supplies us. He strengthens us. The Holy Spirit's engaged in these things too, for he fully represents the Lord Jesus in us and amongst us and with us. He's called the Spirit of Messiah in Romans. He's called the Spirit of Jesus in the Scriptures too. Without in any way diminishing his own personal eternal deity and equality with the Father and with the Son. The Lord Jesus intercedes in heaven for us. And the Holy Spirit intercedes upon us, with us and for us. He, he argues with us and he also argues for us in prayer. Jesus interceded for his disciples in John 17. And I started to look it up and print my notes, but then the notes would have gone stretched too long. If you want to know how Jesus prays for us, read John 17. He prays that we may be kept by God's power. He may praise that we may be kept through God's word, that we will be sanctified by his word because God's word is truth. He prays that we might be one, even if he's seen the Father are one. These are issues that, that are contended over, but Jesus is praying for those things. Praying that we might be kept. Praying that we may be sanctified through his word. Praying that we might be one, even as he and the Father are one. That we be kept from the power of the evil one. We need to pray that too, but Jesus promised those things for us. Read John 17. It wasn't time to do it on the spot. I want you to think for a moment with me about how Jesus interceded for Simon Peter. Simon, Simon, look, Satan's demanded permission to sift you like wheat. And he'd been granted it. Let me add. He'd been granted permission. But 
I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. And Jesus goes right on there to tell Peter that before the rooster crows in the morning, he will have denied Jesus three times. Did, G- did Peter fail Jesus? Yes. Did Jesus fail Peter? Oh, no. He prayed for him. And later restored him with three questions to kind of erase the three denials. So did, G- did Peter's faith fail without recovering? No. Was he lost from faith? No. Why? Because Jesus had prayed for him that his faith would not fail. That is to say, utterly fail. Why did Simon Peter come back? Why did he turn into an apostle to the Jewish people? Why did he complete his task to open the door of faith to the Gentiles? Because Jesus had prayed for him. Do you get it? Otherwise he wouldn't have made it. He would have failed completely. He would have fallen and never recovered. But Jesus had prayed for him. Now, Jesus prays like that for you and me now. Did you get it? He prays just like that for you and I. For us together. I want you to imagine that you're in some sort of trouble. That's very easy for some of us right now. You're in some sort of trouble. And some great friend of yours assures you, don't worry, go and have a rest. I'll pray for you. You, would you be kind of feel good about that? You'd be encouraged by that? Some good friend said, don't worry, go and lie down, have a rest. I'm going to pray for you. Listen, our friend, our brother, our master, promises us by his sure word that he always lives and always makes intercession for us. And he does it even when you're resting, even when you're sleeping. Now, if you were at home and you could hear in the next room the Lord Jesus' voice raised to God in prayer, God the Father praying for you, you'd be strengthened by that, wouldn't you? Well, I have to tell you, he's not in the next room. He's somewhere even more interesting and more powerful than that. He's in heaven. Just because he's not in the next room, you can't hear him. doesn't mean that this isn't absolutely and powerfully true. He stands in heaven and prays those prayers for us. In the very throne of God, in the very ear of the Father, Jesus makes intercession for you. That's better than him even being in the next room and you can hear his voice. And he gives the Holy Spirit to be with us and strengthen us. By his continued reign as king, and representation in heaven as our priest. Jesus saves us now. One book I picked up, kind of spur of the moment purchase, really, by a guy called Robert E. Sergan. The title of the book was uh, Jesus in Hebrews. You know? And I thought, oh, okay, let's buy it. We, God's redeemed, need to be saved on a daily basis. You know? Some people say, do you believe in once saved, always saved? Well, I believe in the preservation of... And, and, and 
most severest of the saints, which is a slightly longer way of saying that. But I tell you something, I need to be saved and be saved and be saved and be saved still. Let me read you, this is an old Methodist hymn. I thought it was an old Pentecostal hymn, it's an old Methodist hymn. I'm going to read you the, the bit of it. We're going to sing before the throne of God later, so I won't read you that one. This is a primitive Methodist hymn. That's the nearest I've gone to. It's probably from the early 1800s. Jesus hath died and hath risen again. Pardon and be, peace to bestow. Fully I trust him from sin's guilty stain. Jesus saves me now. And the chorus is, Jesus saves me now. Jesus saves me now. Yes, Jesus saves me all the time. Jesus saves me now. Another verse, sin's condemnation is over and gone. Jesus alone knoweth how. Life and salvation my soul hath put on. Jesus saves me now. Here's a verse I like. If the tape goes blank at this point, you'll know what it's, why, it, why it does. The recording goes funny. How does it go? This goes like this. Jesus is stronger than Satan and sin. Satan to Jesus must bow. Therefore I triumph without, that's outside and within. Jesus saves me now. Sorrow and pain may beset me about. Nothing can darken my brow. Battling in faith I can joyfully shout, Jesus saves me now. Amen. That doesn't mean that Jesus suffers and dies again for us, but that he intercedes for us on the basis of his finished work of the cross. Let me read it to you again. Therefore, he's able to save forever, to save today, to save tomorrow, to keep saving you. You know, there's a very good prayer that you need to learn, okay? Okay? It's a complicated prayer. It's a difficult prayer. No, it isn't. I'm lying to you. It's save me, Lord. Something's about to happen. Something's about to kick off. You've, you've tempted to sin. It goes like this. Save me, Lord. That's what Peter said when he was sinking in the water. Yeah. He didn't have time for a long prayer. No time for oratory. It was like, rescue now. Yeah. Help now. Jesus saves us day by day. And if you get through a day with Jesus having helped you and saved you, you can trust him to save you another day and another day. And another day. We're only designed to live day by day, folks. The problem is the devil has us worrying about three weeks' time, four weeks' time, five years' time. You don't need a saviour in five years' time because you're not there yet. You need a saviour today. Jesus saves me now. Therefore he's able to save forever. Day by day by day. Those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. I tell you again, John Sintamo was asked by a well-meaning evangelical, probably, maybe a Pentecostal even. They asked the bishop, you know, Bishop John Sintamo, are you saved, brother? You know, And John Sintamo said, I am saved, I'm being saved, and I will be saved by the grace of God. Hallelujah. That's a good theological answer. We need Jesus to be our present saviour, as well as our past and future saviour. We live in the good of his grace day by day. Even hour by hour is a a good one too. Jesus intercedes for us and reigns over us. Here's something from F.F. Bruce and his commentary. I've tidied tidied his language up a bit. In chapter 2 of Hebrews, we've been told that Jesus became high priest to make atonement for his his people's sins 
and he strengthens them in temptation, in trial. In chapter 4, we've been told that he sympathizes with our weakness and supplies the mercy and grace to help them in time of need, day by day, hour by hour. Here in chapter 7, his high priestly function is summed up in terms of intercession. He lives continually to intercede for them. Now this part of the truth of the gospel of Jesus, his heavenly ministry, his kingship and priesthood, is, I think, the most neglected part of gospel truth. It's the bit we never really get to hear. Yet it is essential to our faith and life. It is of the most practical help to us day by day. And it's found in some of our best songs, including the one we're going to sing later, and that one I read to you earlier. You can look it up, Jesus Saves Me Now. To be confident in Jesus as Saviour, day by day, we need to be convinced of what he continues to be and to do for us. He lives, ever lives, in endless day to intercede for us. That's the second great statement about Jesus in these verses. And the third one sounds strange to our ears. Jesus is perfect. To which your responsibility, well, of course he is. Now you, we need to know that Jesus is perfect. Getting up and getting down. For it was fitting for us. I like the version that says this such a high priest meets our needs. Is that the King James? Such a high priest meets our needs. Meets all our needs. Remember that. Such a high priest meets our needs. Meets all our needs. It was fitting for us <coughs> to have such a high priest. Holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens, who does not need daily like those high priests to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sin and then for the sins of the people, because he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men as high priests who are weak, but the, by the, but the word of the oath which came after the law appoints a son made perfect forever. The new priesthood is better because the new high priest is Jesus. Jesus, sorry, this is F.F. F. Bruce again. Jesus who endured sore temptations on earth. Jesus who prayed out his heart in earnest prayer to God. Jesus who learned by suffering how hard the way of obedience could be. Jesus who interceded for his disciples that their faith might not fail when the hour of testing came. Jesus who offered up his life to God as a sin offering on our behalf. This same Jesus is the unchanging high priest and helper of all who come to God through him. This same Jesus, this high priest, meets all our needs. We're thankful for all the ways in which our Lord Jesus has made like us. But we need to be thankful also for the ways in which he is very much unlike us. Some are listed here. He is, I'll just go back a second, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, exalted above the heavens. I think the first three are about his life on earth and the second one is about where he's now. Oops. In life, in flesh, Jesus was holy, innocent, and undefiled. 
though he lived in a sinful world and lived among sinners and was not ashamed of their company, he had no sin. He was tested in every way that we are, but did not sin. By that harsh examination, he was approved as the perfect lamb of sacrifice, without spot or blemish. This high priest offered no sacrifice for his own sin, for he had no sin. His sacrifice was entirely for us. We thank God that Christ was holy, innocent, undefiled. For upon him, the spotless lamb, was placed all the sin of the world. But now, he didn't disdain the company of sinners when on earth, but now he is separated from sinners and is exalted above the heavens. He's not making any further sacrifice for sin. That is finished. He's removed from this sinful world, but in the perfection of heavenly glory, Jesus makes intercession for us. Now there are people who sometimes, because we're down, because we're depressed, because we're ill, we say, oh, oh, if only Jesus were with us now. But you know, that's to miss the point. That's to miss the point. You need to understand the teaching of the Gospel. John's Gospel, the rest of the New Testament. Jesus himself said it was better that he went away. It was better that he was taken to be separate from sinners and exalted above the heavens. For there in the very throne of God, he reigns over us as our king and is our advocate and priest. Better for us that he's there. And because he's gone away and entered into his heavenly role as king and priest, he has sent the Holy Spirit to us who fully represents Jesus in us, with us, and amongst us. We got the better deal than the disciples had. We just don't think like that. But Jesus said it's better this way. That he is with the Father, and that the Holy Spirit is with us, representing Jesus to us. We'll see him one day, on the last day. And he's able to save us and keep us until that day. He's able to save us today, and tomorrow and the next day like one old country western song says one day at a time sweet Jesus that's all you get by the way you can make your plans for the day after and the day after that you might not get there all kinds of things can happen but today Jesus promises he will save you he will help you by his spirit because he doesn't fail to me I've got two quotes from the book that I've been reading by Charles, by Robert E. Sogonen. Saints need a saviour all their journey through. Let me just stop there a moment and say, tell you, you know, that, that hymn, Guide Me, O Thy Great Jehovah, you know, they sing it in Welsh rugby grounds, you know, the tune come Rondon. I grew up hearing that hymn, knew it very well, but later on when I became a Christian, I understood something of this, Lord, guide me, I'm a pilgrim for this banner and I am weak, but you are mighty. Day by day by day, I have a Savior. Saints need a Savior all their journey through. Able to succor or support, Hebrews 2. Able to sympathize, Hebrews 4. Able to save to the uttermost, Hebrews 7. Those three statements present in a few words 
the value of the intercessory high priestly service of the Lord Jesus Christ carried on exclusively for his saints. And another one from a guy called Flanagan. I don't know who these guys are. They're quoted in the book, I think. Now the Savior's ability here is that he saves completely, perfectly, to the uttermost, to the end. But this ability to save completely is based upon the fact that he continues forever. He'll, he will not carry us through the wilderness for part of the journey only to hand us over at some stage to the care of another. He will carry us all the way. He will save completely unto the end. Amen. The Son of God appointed by unchangeable oath of the Father as our King, our High Priest, is made perfect forever. He is perfect. He always was perfect. He is perfect. And this perfect High Priest meets all our needs. Jesus is the rock. I guess that was concrete and they drew it in before the concrete section. Jesus is the rock. Jesus' perfection and acceptance, his position as our king, our priest, our guarantor, is unchangeable, immutable, unshakable. Sounds like one of the songs we sing, isn't it? It cannot be broken. It cannot be changed. It cannot be moved. Do you understand? You might get shifted around and moved around in your emotions and your doubts and your fears, all kinds of ways. Jesus does not move. And his promises are unbreakable. And the nature of his heavenly ministry is unchangeable. We are saved by his rock-like, granite-like, unchangeable character, nature, power, and name. That's what we're saved by. And his saving power comes to us day by day, not only to remit our faults and, and forgive us our sins, but to empower us to deal with sin. To take the serpent by its throat and shake it. No. In the name of Christ, no. He is the immovable rock of faith to which we cling as the storms of life pass over us. Did I put this on the screen? I should have put it on the screen. I did put it on the screen. He is perfect, which means this. Listen, you can add nothing more to Jesus because you need nothing more than the Lord Jesus. He is perfect. The full answer. He meets all our needs. You can add nothing to him and there's nothing more than you need but him. I thank the Lord that Kevin, my brother, he, he's still suffering so much with his legs and health. And so but if you go to see him, his heart is sweet in Jesus. He's abiding under the shelter of the Most High. His heart is fixed on Christ. I thank God for that, that steadfastness of faith that God has given him, that the Holy Spirit is encouraging him. You need nothing more than Jesus. You can add nothing to Jesus. Because the truth is, he's far more than we 
could ever. He surpasses our needs. He's greater. He's better. The lies of this world are you need this and you need that's what advertising about, isn't it? Have you seen this? You didn't know you needed this, did you? But you need this now. You know, regain, hair restore, whatever it is. All my needs are met in him. If you will draw near to him, if you'll call out to him, he will save you. If you've never done that before, do it now, today. Do it now. Today is his day of salvation. It's the day when his promise is unoffered to you. That he will save all who believe. He will answer all who call. But that promise stands good for you and I, who may have believed in it for many years. Today is his day of salvation. Today, wherever I need his help, wherever I need his rescue, wherever I need his power, he will come to me, it will come to us, simply by trusting him and calling on his name. Jesus saves me now. And he'll do that day after day, hour after hour, if that's how you live, and most some of us do, until the final moment when we are welcomed by him into his eternal kingdom whether that's the day of his coming or the day of my death. He will save to the end those who come to God through him. Why? Because he always lives to make intercession for us. Jesus is better. Jesus is better. He meets all our needs. I want you to take a moment to talk to him yourself. Come on, call him. Call him. Tell him how it is with you. But as you do that, remember this. He meets all our needs. Don't just tell him how it is with you without asking him for his real help. He already helps you in heaven. He's prayed for you. He has prayed for you. He continues to pray for you. He will commission the Holy Spirit to strengthen you and help you and rescue you and give you answers and give you strength. But you need to ask. You need to ask Him to save you now, today, to supply you. Go ahead, do it.